We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of The Kidnapping of the President on August 15, 1980. It was written by Richard Murphy, based on a novel by Charles Templeton, directed by George Mendeluck, and released by Crown International Pictures. Hey. It's your, it's your neighbor's. Uh, earlier this year, we had them release Don't Answer the Phone and Galaxina, I believe. Maybe one other one, or maybe that's it. I think there was the hearse? The hearse. Possible, yeah. Yeah, I think it was, because it had that cool logo at the beginning. Uh, Which I I totally didn't see. <laughs> I <still laughs> was like, you showed it to me, it's like, I don't remember this at all. <laughs> uh, in 1977, George Templeton wrote the novel, originally titled The Hostage, but published as The Kidnapping of the President, and it was quickly optioned to be adapted to film. The biggest challenge when adapting to film was that in the book, the president's kidnapping took place in New York, which was moved to Canada for a number of financial reasons. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's, that's why they had Canadian actors. Yeah. And for some reason, English screenwriters. Yep. Because they kept saying bloody yeah. <laughs> all the time. I was like, where is this supposed to be taking place? That's just what everybody said in uh, 1980. The film was released about six months prior to John Hinckley's attempted assassination of Ronald Reagan, but luckily Hinckley blamed a different movie for inspiring him. We open with a montage of newsreel footage of presidents making public appearances in open-top cars as a band plays Hail to the Chief. Yeah, I got really excited and then disappointed because the name came up and I said, Mindy Sterling? I was like, oh, Cindy Gerling? (laughs) That's not who I wanted. The person I wanted wasn't even born when this movie came out. <laughs> Mindy Sterling was totally born. That's Frau Farbisna. Oh. You're thinking of Mindy Kaling. Actually, I was thinking of the violin lady. What is her name? Lindsay Sterling. <laughs> <laughs> She's even younger than Mindy That's Kaling. what I'm saying. <laughs> we pan across mountaintops and end on a spider web while a person out of focus behind it tramples through a swamp. He is pursued by members of a guerrilla army who loose an attack dog on him that tears his throat out on the ground. Another soldier, with a gun and a dog, corners a second man on the run. He shoots out the captive's knees when the man brandishes a machete and asks the crippled man where Mendoza is, but he won't talk. As punishment for his silence, the soldier, with the help of arriving friends, uses the man's machete to remove some of his fingers, I think? I, I Yeah, I was like, did he cut his arm off? And then when they showed the white shop, no, 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 no his arm's, his still, arm's there. still there. His arm's still there. It looks very much like they were going to cut his whole hand off. Yeah, unless it's just like, it's cut off, but it's just still really close to it. Or if it was like, he just buried it in the dirt, but because we don't see what happened and there's no insert of the fingers, we have no idea what really happened here. Mm-hmm. It, it, it seemed like a cutaway for TV, but then we just saw a guy's throat ripped out. Yeah. <laughs> A woman pops out with a gun to observe what's going on and then sulks back into the plants disappointed. Later, she's washing her face in a river when the gunman finds her and says that she will see her sister soon. He tries to cheer her up for a minute here before slitting her throat and dumping her in the river because he says, you know too much. In a nearby bar, a man is trying desperately to get a hold of an ambassador by phone when a pair of gorillas bust through the doors with machine guns, killing him and the bartender. 
Just before he dies, the desperate man stops in his tracks behind a pickup truck outside and is shot backwards up into the bed, crushing several crates containing clearly live chickens with his body weight. I miss the chickens. Yeah, there were chickens in the boxes. And when literally when the body falls out, you see like chickens like push the boxes back up because he's just laying on top of chickens. Hmm. The voice speaking through the abandoned phone lets us know that this was Mendoza they were looking for and uh, that he got through to the ambassador's office, but he didn't get to finish the call. You know, this whole section would have been a great opportunity to explain what the hell these people want. Yeah. Or what they stand mm-hmm. for. Or where we are. <laughs> <laughs> we're somewhere. We know that much. Looks like somewhere. I mean, I think they say later something about South America. I just yeah. don't, we don't know money Where specifics. specifically, yeah. yeah. He, he's a, yeah, the villain is a freedom fighter, but it doesn't seem like anyone wants to be free. Yeah. Uh, he's not freeing anyone but himself. Yeah. Free um, your I, mind and the rest will follow. No, there you go. Is that a Free your mind. Is that a song reference? Or are we <laughs> making an LA story reference? Both. Okay. What I don't understand is I'm assuming Mendoza must have had some kind of knowledge of his plan to kidnap the president. Yeah. And were these guys against it? Is that why they are being taken out? I mean, I, I don't think it's super no, clear. they're for it. What? The guy who slit the lady's throat is the one who commits the crime. No, no, no. Why did he take these three people out at the beginning? I don't understand why he's taking them out. I'm assuming that they were part of his team that were trying to get away. It also seems like everyone who has the knowledge that they need to know about the kidnapping is already in the United States or in Canada. Yeah. Uh, so it just doesn't seem like these men would have very much pertinent information. Yeah. It's not helpful. Because even, uh, even the guy didn't know about the truck. He knew nothing about the truck that was being built for him. Really, only one person knows the whole plan anyway. Yeah. So, uh, like, anyway, I, I'm now I'm, I'm now I'm thinking backwards to all this stuff. It's like, who, this whole opening gambit doesn't make any sense. You weren't nope. supposed to watch this movie a second time. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't even supposed to watch it a first time, in my opinion. That's probably true. <laughs> in the Oval Office, President Adam Scott of Parks and Rec fame. No, it's a different Adam <laughs> Scott. Is meeting with some intelligence officials, the FBI and CIA directors. Uh, or not the directors, but the people running those departments, uh, to discuss an international incident seemingly orchestrated by the vice president without anyone else's approval. We just barely touch on this and never yeah. really come back to it. Well, I mean, it, it kind of comes back, but it doesn't doesn't seem to have any consequences. No, but whatever he did, it was without the president's approval. Herb Morris walks Jerry O'Connor, who I might accidentally call Jerry O'Connell over the course of this <laughs> right? episode, yeah. uh, down to the Oval Office uh, through a long haul and they're discussing some concerns they have about an upcoming trip to Toronto. Obviously the president thinks that this vice president stuff is more important until his chief of staff hands him some classified material on their concerns. It always bothers me when top secret binders just say eyes only and Mm -hmm. don't specify whose eyes. Like there's any other way to take in images and text (laughs) on paper. Wait a minute. I I saw that and I didn't realize that that's a thing that people write on documents on top secret stuff yeah, yeah. it's like they for write... your eyes only but it just says eyes only really yeah Do people write that on there yeah mm-hmm. okay there's a whole james bond movie titled about it yep yes but it'll say for your eyes yeah. only but even that is like whose eyes yeah it does specify because if i found if this... i'm if i'm reading it those are my eyes yeah <laughs> <laughs> that is correct actually if you were reading it it says for your eyes only it would imply somebody else <laughs> somebody's watching me oh god <laughs> <laughs> only who can prevent forest fires you pressed you, referring to me. That is incorrect. 
The correct answer is you. <laughs> the file contains photos of renounced terrorist Roberto Asante, presumed dead. Although, my note here says presumed dude, and I prefer that. <laughs> the chief of staff tells them that they have five minutes with Scott. O'Connor tells the president about the interrupted phone call in the bar and the evidence they've collected that Asante didn't die with Guevara in Bolivia like they thought. The whole time the CIA and FBI guys are still sitting here in the office and the CIA guy can't help but shit all over everything O'Connell is trying to say. This is the second movie about a criminal mastermind assumed dead by all except for the expert with a plan to stop him. My note here for this is is pretty simple. It's like, dude, you don't have to like him or listen to him, but just let him do his job. Yeah, he has to communicate this information. Yeah, that's all he has to do. It is up to you to take that information and continue to do something with it, but at least let him just speak his mind. Yeah. O'Connor cites as evidence of Asante's work the deaths of three people in South America, including a known associate of Asante's, an ex-weatherman, named erica steiner for those as unfamiliar as i was this is not a dead meteorologist but rather a member of the weather underground a small violent offshoot of the students for democratic society who claimed credit for a series of bombings including one that demolished their own headquarters by exploding prematurely not unlike our friend haddocks in a small circle of friends uh -huh. earlier this year likely a direct reference to the group so okay so the, this group this is based on an actual event or no. person no, but they're just trying to connect the this guerrilla army with, you know, who Che Guevara is, and you've heard of the Weathermen, so it's like, it's South American terrorists and, like, domestic socialist terrorists. Okay. When the president says, assuming you're right and Asante is alive and wants to kill me in Toronto on the 8th, what would we do? The head of the CIA, for some stupid reason, suggests call in the mounted police because it's their jurisdiction when clearly defending the u.s president has always been the authority of the secret service since the program was born in the 1860s and they've always traveled with the president outside the oval office morris asks what o'connor is trying to prove going up against dietrich from the cia and he says the cia had orders to terminate asante and they blew it president scott practices an upcoming speech with his wife and she calls the script cluttered she has worries about the upcoming trip and mentions not wanting to ride around in an open-top car because it'll mess her hair up, she yeah, says. Yeah. But he calls her out on it. Yeah, apparently Jerry O'Connell... Oh, I got, you already got me doing it. Jerry O'Connor uh, <laughs> went to her and or also... Or Morris did, one of them. Yeah, already they already went to her and like basically like were trying to back-channel the threat yeah. like through her. I feel like it's almost like if you were tattling on yeah. somebody, it was just like... We'll tell her, and then she'll get him to do it. I told mom on you. It's like, ah, your husband has a really cool head. Shame if something were to happen to it. <laughs> you know, Magically. You know what <laughs> doesn't make sense, though, is when they're all concerned about him riding in some open-topped vehicle. Yeah. But then when he gets into the briefing, the first thing he says was that assassinations don't happen from far away. Like 90% yeah. of them mm -hmm. happen in close range. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, though, everyone seems very sure that he's on the verge of assassination, so he must not have a great approval record or something. Asante exits a train and bumps into a quote-unquote blind man the two leave the station together. This seems totally unnecessary as they're actually drawing more attention to themselves this way than they would as two guys just meeting at a train station. I And, and at this point, Asante is believed dead, so no one's even looking for him. Yeah. So I don't get what the purpose of this, like, it's like 
a married couple, like, you know, it's like, oh, we'll have to pretend like we're married because they're looking for single people. Yeah. But in this case, no one's looking for anybody. Yeah. Certainly not Maury Chaikin's character. Nope. The vice president is called to the president's office and criticized for, it seems like, accepting a bribe for $25,000 from a criminal overlord named Joe Springglass. And whatever this was is connected to the international incident. I mean, I don't think it was a direct bribe. It sounded like it was a shady political contribution. Right. But it was clearly like, here's $25,000. Can you take care of this person for me overseas? Yeah. And somehow, as the vice president, he had the power to do that. Scott orders his resignation, and the VP's wife wants him to fight it. Asante apologizes to Erica's sister, Linda, when he meets her. He lies that she was shot in the back by the enemy, but it took me the second viewing to realize that he's the one who killed her. Yeah. Yeah. Because when he kills her, he's wearing a hat that covers his distinctive bald spot, so I didn't even realize it was supposed to be the same guy. He looks very different with and without the hat. Yeah. Yeah. And the kind of scruff that he had. Yeah. The blind man describes the inner workings of this armored truck that he has rigged to explode. And when he mentions antennas, Asante is very upset about the possibility that their frequency might be jammed. Blindy also mentions that people get paranoid about bombing ingredients, so he had to wire it up himself with what he had. And when Asante asks the seemingly benign question, how much wiring did you use? The guy explodes, there's a thousand feet of wiring in that truck! Linda tells Asante to leave Harvey alone. He worked really hard on this. Yeah, and to trust that the vehicle works according to plan. Yeah, this dynamic between them all is very weird. Yeah, it also never comes back that he did this all himself. Like, you would think that the whole point of that is that he screwed something up and something's going to go wrong, and none of it does. I I guess except for the engine overheating, but that seems unrelated to the technical aspect of the truck. That night, Linda talks to Asante about America's arrogance and his history fighting with Govera. Uh, just as she's telling him that her sister loved him and she understands why, he's suddenly handcuffing her inside the van and tearing her clothes off to forcibly make out with her. She struggles against it for a few seconds, but then I think gives up and is just like, yep, fine, I'm into it now at the end of this scene. Yeah, I don't like that at all. No. If, if you keep pushing hard enough, they just like you. Yeah. Right, right. O'Connor gives a slideshow presentation about political assassinations. He advises them to spend less time looking for guns and bulges and more time looking at faces and mouths that look strange, which is <laughs> terrible advice. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a secret agent or a secret service he, agent. He almost kind of goes on to like a psychotic tangent. He's like, it's the mouth and the eyes. There's just something that looks it's wrong. Got, it's, it's, it's like a doll's eyes. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, what if someone just had a weird mouth? You can just tackle that guy. It's like the guy behind him had a gun, but this guy's mouth was That's real weird. That's going to hold up in court for sure. <laughs> it explains a lot of the failures later in the film that he doesn't think looking for bulges or guns is important. <laughs> On Air Force One, Morris warns the president again that nothing is happening with the Asante situation. And the president says, look, the CIA told me he's dead. And besides... If he wants me dead, he'll kill me. There's no use in exercising sensible cautions to ensure continuity of government. Morris agrees? Yeah. (laughs) But seems sick or intoxicated and then collapses on his way out of the room. I I thought he was in on it and was having, like, nerves. Yeah. I was like, "Mm, he's got a flop sweat. He's something's up with this guy. See, and I'll spoil right now that this whole plot had nothing to do with Dietrich, but I was sure that Dietrich poisoned him because he was in on it. Because oh, he was yeah. the one who was saying, Asante is dead. Mm-hmm. Don't don't follow this lead. Yeah, I was sure that he was being poisoned too when, when, he, when he fell over. Because we don't know why that guy fell over. He just died on the plane. It mm. seems... 
Like, He's not connected to the criminals. Well, I guess it doesn't really matter, though, because the only difference that it makes is who's going to run the operation. Right. Yeah. But from a film perspective, it makes no difference because you could have just opened with William Shatner running the department. That's true. Yeah. And it's totally it se- true. And it seemed like he was running it anyway. Yeah, because he was the one, he's and... the one demanding time with the president. Anyway, this guy collapses on the plane. The explosive armored vehicle pulls out of a barn. Harvey expresses a childlike excitement as he drives, and Asante and Linda seem romantically intertwined already. They're like she's like sitting behind him in the on the bench seat, with her arms around him while they're driving. It's very weird, and uh, they're all in uniforms as though they were the drivers of this armored truck. Sharpshooters from the Secret Service take their places atop a building in Toronto where the president intends to speak. They get the chief of police of Toronto in their crosshairs and literally pull the trigger at him. Yeah. I I was like, even if your gun isn't loaded, which it appears that it isn't, or at least isn't isn't in a firing position, gun safety is... Rule number one, you don't point a gun and pull the trigger at anything you don't intend to kill. That's 100%. Like... This is the only time in the entire movie that they do pull the trigger. That's true. Because these are the most useless sharpshooters in the history of sharpshooting. They're, they're perfectly useful. The problem is that they're never given the okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I also do like that the chief of police has the force. Yeah. And can sense. sense he knows they, what they're doing up there. He's like. Now, if there's any more of that nonsense, the better of you will find yourself on traffic detail for the rest of your mortal days. Understood? I saw that finger move slightly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to bust you guys down to traffic detail if you keep fucking around. Uh, but it's a gotcha. The guns aren't loaded yet. And it's perfectly okay to pull the trigger of an unloaded gun pointed at a government official. O'Connor is called to the Toronto airport to respond to an emergency. Back on Air Force One, over the dying head of the Secret Service, Dietrich, the CIA jerk, is trying to wrestle control of the Secret Service away from O'Connor, second in command. He's so insistent that Asante is dead and that O'Connor can be relieved of duty that I'm certain he's involved in the plot already. He probably poisoned Morris right here on this plane, even. (laughs) That didn't happen. The bomb truck starts overheating, so they pull up to a gas station, and cops pull up right next to them and get real curious about what they're up to. Yeah, I was like, what? what is this? Why do you care so much? Yeah, what is this all about? The guy's, like, walking around and climbing on top of the vehicle. Like, looking in the window, cupping his hands over the window. Yeah, like, okay, if, if you have engine trouble, that's one thing, and they're like, oh, hey, like, you know, Maybe you should do this or that. Like, offer some advice. Yeah. Right. Or be concerned that they're like, oh, this is an armored vehicle. You are in a compromised position having your engine out right now. Mm-hmm. So yeah. maybe we should be concerned about you. But instead, uh, they're being all investigatory. Yeah. One of them notices suspicious wiring under the hood. And right as he's pointing it out to his partner, he gets stabbed in the chest by Asante and dies instantly. Yeah. And, and what suspicious wiring? Like... There's wires in the car. Okay. Like, you don't know anything about this armored car. Yeah, and I thought that was going to come into play later when they open the hood to, like, do stuff. There's going to be, like, some C4 or something? Oh, is there something under the hood, too? No, there's nothing under the hood. It's just a normal car on the front side. So I don't know what he was even pointing at. But uh, his partner comes around the truck, and Harvey shoots him. (laughs) As the cop's dying, he grabs his gun and points it at Harvey, who starts to apologize. I'm And then he gets shot. And as they're both dying, Harvey complains, I said I was... And then he dies. <laughs> Just like that he tried to apologize to the guy that he killed. The gas station attendant runs away, and Asante makes Linda shoot him in the back with a shotgun. 
For basically no reason other than to call more attention to their plan, Asante fires the shotgun at the gas station to blow the whole place up. Right? I was so confused yeah. by this. Like, if you had left three dead guys on the ground in the middle of this what seemed to be nowhere gas station mm-hmm. it would have been quite a while before somebody realized what was happening but now there's but a now fire there's truck a pulling in as they're leaving yeah. in the sky yeah and there's a guy who's far you know it'd be one thing if you were trying to burn up the bodies Maybe. but they're but nowhere near yeah, they're where... nowhere near the fire and one of them is way out far away with shotgun blasts in his back yeah. right you're not covering up evidence with this explosion he might even still be alive on the radio, a DJ cuts in mid-song to tell anyone interested about slight changes in the president's transportation schedule, the kind of information the Secret Service has never shared with anyone because it's a clear matter of national security. Well, okay, it's not so specific, but yes, they do have they do post the times that he's going to be in this area down to like the half hour for traffic concerns, especially in L.A. Right, so, but so they don't I break agree. into a song like it's an emergency notification. That's true. That's true. I, I agree with that. But I do think that they will tell you, in general, where the where and when the motorcade is going to be blocking traffic. But what they don't tell you is what they said here, which was the president's plane was delayed 30 minutes due to some sort of incident, but there is no change in his arrival schedule mm-hmm. and traffic pattern. So it's like, if there's no change, why are we saying anything at all? Yeah, and all they did say was that <laughs> It's going to somehow affect the, the time that it takes the motorcade to get to the airport to pick him up. Mm-hmm. So there's just a, a bigger bombing window at the airport if you wanted to kill him there. O'Connor meets the president at the plane. Apparently Morris is okay but hospitalized, but still O'Connor is now in charge of the department. Uh, he collects the president's cufflings and watch for some reason. Why? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. This. I looked everywhere online for some kind of precedent of the of president. The president. <laughs> But yeah, I, I don't get it. He takes his cufflinks and his watch, which maybe those are the only metal things. Why? Why yeah. did you take his metal? I, I, I don't. But he also just like wordlessly gestures to him like, okay, now here's the part where you do this. And yeah. you're like, what what, what do you mean this is the part where you do you take off your cufflinks and your watch? And I would assume that this is something that like Secret Service knows about and that they had some person on set that was telling them what the secret service would do in a situation and gave them this piece of advice like oh you would take the cufflinks and the watch and they would definitely explain it in the movie if they were going to use that but also they clearly didn't have anyone involved in the secret service Mm -hmm. advising them because the whole rest of the movie is a testament to how stupid they are and how badly planned this whole toronto yeah they it would be an embarrassment if somebody had been involved in this that was actually part of the secret service but anyone listening if you know for some reason why the Secret Service would remove the president's cufflinks and watch. Yeah, it's very weird. But not his wedding ring. Nope. The armored truck pulls into Toronto, and Asante gets out to argue with a man guarding a barricade to block a road for the president's motorcade. Asante tells him, I got $50,000 in that truck, which seems like hardly anything considering. Uh, But he asks the guy, what's more important, $50,000 or orders from the national government to block a road for the American president? And the guy chooses very poorly and moves the small barricade. The sharpshooters see all of this happening. Yeah, this would never happen. Yeah. Mm. But the sharpshooters are watching it happen from the top of the building. And immediately they're like, well, let's check the bank. Okay, yeah, there's no bank deliveries approved on the schedule. So let's, let's go ahead and put a stop to this. Oh, we don't have anybody down there to radio to. Yep, yep. So I guess we'll just start going down there. Well, they they call it in, but I would have taken a pot shot at that guard saying, hey, open your freaking eyes, dude. Yeah. How come he didn't have the bank schedule? But for some reason, there's no security within a few minutes. So Asante is free to carry a bunch of bags into the building. 
that uh, the president will be speaking near soon. I don't know what these bags are. Right? I, he just carried a bunch well, of bags into no, a bathroom and I changed. Mean, I I assumed they were the things that he changed into. So he's got alternate clothes and you the know dynamite in yeah. there. Why? Um, why? Yeah. Why did so he ch- so that when he pulls up, he looks like he is an armored truck driver. And he was when, already wearing an armored truck uniform. Yes, and then he goes into the into the mall and changes into a different outfit with dynamite on. It just seems like you could be wearing all of that the whole time. But they but they're looking for an armored truck driver. Well, but I feel like when he parked the armored truck, there was no one around that he could have exited the truck in his street clothes and just well, walked away. Well, they didn't or, know that though. Or even exited in the in the armored truck uniform and then taken off that jacket and thrown it away. Yeah. And then you have the rest of the clothes under it. Like turned it inside out, like like Ethan Hunt. Yes. It's got a whole different looking so jacket on the other side. All the dynamite is on the outside. Yeah. <laughs> the president climbs out of the back seat in his motorcade to sit high up on the back of an open top car, and his wife is freaking out about it. The president's security eventually gets to the armored truck, but it's locked, so now they're just looking for a driver, assuming there's no one inside, even though they can't see inside. Asante elbows his way to the front of a crowd on either side of the red carpet the president will be walking down, which is flanked by a just a rope just yeah. a velvet rope to keep the riffraff out uh he's claiming to be a member of the mexican press looking to get a photograph of the president and literally steps over the rope onto the carpet right next to a cop as if part of this plan was to be intentionally arrested before the president even shows up the clock strikes three and the men outside the armored truck radio to o'connor that they can't find a driver one of them notices linda inside getting in the driver's seat and she fires a gun with a silencer through the driver's side door to kill the guy that's speaking to O'Connor on the radio. It's I thought totally this was an armored car. She flips a little circle thing. Oh. Yeah. It's so got a little she can actually peephole. stick the barrel out. Oh, I, did, I missed that. Yeah. But I, I don't remember. understand why she does this. I don't either. Like, just she, drive away. <laughs> right. Because more than just this one guy knows that this truck is a potential problem. So it's not like she's preventing the spread of information. And she is planning to just drive away anyways. So yeah. why why shoot him? Just drive. Also, she, if she had just driven away the second she dropped the guy off, they wouldn't even be tracking the truck anymore. Because it took them 10 minutes to even get to the vehicle. so And she's not waiting for him to come back to it. So she could have left a long time ago, but she didn't do that. They also shoot out one of the tires, which I thought was going to play into something. Nope. But doesn't. Nope. She pulls away as soon as the second agent just runs for his life when he sees the first one get shot. In reality, this car would be boxed in and the second guy would be returning fire. But that's not what happens here. There's Everybody's on foot. There's no vehicles in Canada. When the president starts moving down the red carpet, the crowd on either side of the rope that's protecting the president, they're they're just completely flooding past the ropes. And at the same time, O'Connor is realizing that he will be fired for this fuck up. So he's... But fired for for the fact that they're mobbing it? Why are they mobbing the U.S. president? I mean, presumably these are a bunch of Canadians, first of all. So, like, (laughs) I don't think that they... I mean, they're really nice people. They aren't going to mob anybody. Just saying, sorry, sorry. (laughs) But secondly, like, it's not the Beatles. It's the president. Yeah, people would do this for the president. I guarantee you But Canadians? No. Mm -mm, Not happening. No, probably not Canadians. But while he's getting... uh, While he realizes he's going to get fired, he's getting a call from the guys at the armored truck that it has broken away from them and is headed directly for the president. Four agents are now firing on the speeding truck, and they pop one tire, which, as we said, does nothing. 
As the president moves down the line, Asante introduces himself as Mexican press, and when Scott reaches out for a handshake, Asante handcuffs them together and reveals his dynamite vest. This is the part of the plan that seems the least thought out. Yeah. You have to rely that you can push yourself through a crowd and get the president to shake your hand out of a thousand people that he's not shaking hands with, everybody. Yeah. That you would have to get him close enough to, to do this. And to get a pair of handcuffs, which isn't totally easy if you're not, like, practiced yeah. at it in a mob. Yeah. Um, I thought at first that he was holding a dead man switch, but he isn't. No. So they would definitely have just shot him here. Yeah. That would have been the end of it. Well, uh, especially because I think the sharpshooters say they have the shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, the thing in his hand is just a trigger for a different random explosion to scare people away. And uh, one one of the sharpshooters nearly saves the day when O'Connor bravely demands, hold your fire, nobody shoots. The police in charge of stopping the truck have placed a single beam two by four barricade in the road. Unbelievably, the truck is able to drive right through the barricade that I could probably also walk through. <laughs> Asante tells O'Connor to order the men pursuing the truck to cease fire to help them kidnap the president. And he obliges for whatever reason. One guy tries to tackle the truck as it pulls up into the park and uselessly bounces off of the hood. Uh, Hal Holbrook's reactions to this whole situation are so authentic. It's perfect. It's like, just to shoot this guy. Yeah. It's like, you're (laughs) wasting my time. Like, shoot the guy. I'm the president. I'm giving you a direct order. The president thinks this is all a dumb joke and demands they arrest this terrorist. Come on, O'Connor, arrest him. Get Get this thing off me. But the security detail all ignore his direct orders. Asante says, One move and we're all dead. And O'Connor takes this very literally and just freezes in place. (laughs) O'Connor tells the president to just be kidnapped. (laughs) Do as he says. I know this man. What? What are you talking about? No, (laughs) don't 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 do that. Don't don't say you know him first. (laughs) Yeah, but also that's that's not an argument. The president seems just as flabbergasted as I am that he's being asked to surrender to terrorists. Hopefully O'Connor loses his job for this. The president says, you'll never get away with this. And O'Connor says, please do as he says, Mr. President. It's like, what? Fuck you. No, I don't want to do that. You know, the the, the speed hold tactic of shoot the hostage? Yeah. Like, this totally plays into this. Yeah. You you make the president completely immobile. If I was Hal Probo, I'd just go limp. Yeah. Just collapse to the ground. <laughs> He's not going to but drag But also, you. when he says, like, get into the truck, and it's like, no, I'm not going to get into the truck. And it's like, are we just going to stand here till midnight and you yeah. explode? All right, let's see if that happens. Yeah. Well, or he blows the ball rope right there, but I don't think. I mean, that's not his. That wasn't his plan. That's not his plan. That's the thing. Is like I don't understand. I don't actually understand what his plan is because I feel like there's so many ways that he could be foiled in this explosion thing because he really doesn't want to blow up the president. Right. He and wants something else. The he other wants problem, it as leverage. Yeah. The other thing is that. If you're going to do this kind of a plan, you have to have something that you can in person and provably threaten the president with. You can't say someone somewhere has a trigger for this bomb. And it's like, I don't believe you. You have no proof of that. And I'm not just going to give you the president because you said that. That's like if I was getting pulled over and I told the cop, hey, there's 10 sharpshooters with you in their crosshairs. So just mm-hmm. let me go. It's yeah. like, no, you're under arrest. Also, you're threatening me yeah exactly (laughs) well and for that matter if he's gonna say somebody else is in the audience with an alternate trigger for this explosion if i die they're going to trigger this 
why not say there's 10 people out there? Like, yeah. just exaggerate. Because if they find your one person, which, spoiler alert, they do, yeah. you're, you're screwed. screwed. <laughs> but yeah, one of the guys says, so do we let him put the president in that truck? And then O'Connor says, we don't have any other choice. Yes, you do. The other choice is to not let him do that. You guys have a hundred guns. Everyone in the security detail is guilty of treason. The president is forced against his will by his own staff to get in this truck. Inside the truck, Scott is handcuffed to the wall, but not before he makes an attempt on Asante's life, which is very quickly shut down with a throat punch. But I did like that Hal Holbrook was like, I'm going to fucking strangle this guy. <laughs> Nobody else is going to do it. I'll kill him right here. I don't care. Uh, Asante tucks all the dynamite into a box in the back of the truck, and Dietrich from the CIA shows up and is like, what the fuck? <laughs> You didn't let that man take the president inside the truck. He's got 30 sticks of dynamite strapped to his chest. Oh, well, that's that's fine then. <laughs> that's a that's a great argument to let him take the president. He was covered in dynamite. <laughs> Did you see any dynamite? Some. It was on him. It's on us. It's all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> Dietrich says he will take over Secret Service since the current leadership has managed to lose the president like an hour into the job. <laughs> The Toronto chief of police says, actually, he's going to take over the Secret Service, which makes the least sense. <laughs> Either way, priority one would be getting everyone as far away from this bomb as possible, especially the officials discussing their plan within earshot of a truck that we've established is not soundproof. Suddenly, the truck pulls away and Linda jumps out and down a stairwell. She starts shooting back at the agents and sets off a smoke bomb before ducking through the door at the bottom of the stairwell, defeating the purpose of the smoke bomb. A whole swarm of agents chase the van out of the parking lot on fucking foot? What is going on? We've accidentally established that there was a motorcade ten minutes ago, but every car that should be blocking this truck is just not doing that. And there's no aerial coverage? And there's also no there's no perimeter established. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just oh, he's taking him that way. Just Shoot. just just two sharpshooters on a building that was so far away. Yeah. And a hundred agents on foot. The truck comes to a complete stop. In front of the stage the president was going to speak at a group of agents follow linda down the stairs and into the parking structure but there's really nothing to worry about because by now the perimeter is secure and she for sure just can't drive away asante tells everyone with a pa system on the truck about all the booby traps that he's installed and that they will get the president back when his demands are met he also tells the crowds to stay yes he, he doesn't want them to clear the crowds out yeah and I think that's an important point. I want to come back to that one. Yeah. But can, first, can we talk a little bit about these booby traps? Sure. Because up until this point in the movie, I assume I assume they're live this whole time. And it has yeah. not been like, okay, well, now that we're in place, I'm going to turn them off. Yeah, we do see him flip all the switches after he says that. Oh, we do? Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. okay. Okay. I think I missed that. Because I was just like, how up until this point has all, like driving down a bumpy road yeah getting the tire shot out you know driving over a curb and through a crowd mm -hmm. how is this not set anything yeah, off it, that definitely would have okay yeah the uh, uh maury jacob's character also said the car has an electric skin which was like does it zap you if it tries to get get to you yeah, is it like galaxina yeah but no it's it's <laughs> i guess it's just got wires everywhere that if yeah. any one of those wires is damaged and there are also, the there's also heat sensors all over the thing. So if they try and take a blowtorch to any side of this truck, they're going to set it off. Asante steps out of the van and shows that he's unarmed and demands an escort to room 417 of a nearby skyscraper, at which point they should have shot him <laughs> several times. Somehow, Linda just makes her way back into the crowd. Mm -hmm. And uh, the they escort Asante through the crowds into the building. 
the the building is just full of people too and they're just pushing asante through all of these people the vice president is informed of what has happened and that he is now the acting president and his wife is super hot for that o'connor meets the prime minister of canada and asks him to pretend that this part of canada is america until he can get the president back (laughs) o'connor's plan is to do everything the bad guy wants and he can't risk anyone interrupting asante's plan the prime minister says will you pay a ransom o'connor says it's not up to him but if it was he for sure would he doesn't say that i'm editorializing the prime minister says fine toronto is america now asante's first demand is 100 million dollars in diamonds and two planes right and he also must appear occasionally at the window to room 417 and they have till midnight to deliver the diamonds they have until midnight yeah Uh, that's the deadline already also 417 doesn't appear to be a room because it's like got uh it's like at the end of the hall it's like at the end of the hall it's got got like a railings and an emergency exit no carpet it's like concrete floors yeah i was like this isn't a room what is this (laughs) okay so let's come back to the crowd thing yeah obviously the the reasoning that asante had was i have a person I need to put them in the crowd so that they are my second set of eyes that they could, you know, trigger this bomb if needed mm-hmm. if I'm not if I don't show back up, right? Yeah. So that's why he says not for the crowd to disperse. But the crowd that we're seeing here is like super happy and excited to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like people are joining it you know or they're letting people join it whereas really it should be a like these people are technically hostages mm-hmm. like they're told by a but terrorist they that hostages? they can't leave like that guy said that but the authorities never told them they couldn't leave but i think they would be telling them they can't leave because the terrorist told them not to leave or he's going to blow up the president so i think that they're preventing them from leaving yeah, cuz why the hell would everybody not just leave i think they would I think the only reason that the people stuck around is because they wanted to see the president explode. This whole this whole they were like, crowd oh, now situation it's an event. is so weird. Yeah, I don't get it. Maybe I can collect part of the truck that the president died in and sell it mm-hmm. on eBay later. But they're like happy to be there. But yeah. I, if like if they're being kept there against their will, they they shouldn't be happy to be there. I wouldn't want to be anywhere near a terrorist plot. But also, plot. Asante didn't give them nearly enough instructions for this crowd because yeah. they could have just one at a time taken the people out and been like, hey. What, do you have a bomb on you anywhere? Yeah. Do you have a gun? I'm going to check you. We're going to search everybody, and if you're clean, leave. Yeah, or <laughs> or what you do is you get every member of the police force to gr- dress up in plain clothes, and one at a time you have the Switch crowd leave, out. and just yeah. till the whole crowd is nothing but police. Yeah. Um, I have a note. <laughs> it's just the end of the Blues Brothers. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a note here because the whole movie this was driving me nuts. The weird soundtrack with the yes. sound yes. effects. Yeah. Like, is this part of the soundtrack or is this local noise? I think it was supposed to be music. Um, it's somebody's just weird experimental soundscapes played over top of the scenes where we're thinking that there's... They were always for when the, they were showing, like, the wiring in the truck and stuff yeah. like yeah. that. Um, and it's like, it's like musical cues that are supposed to be sound effects. It's like they don't have time for sound effects. So anytime you see a sound effect, like a clock ticking, it's got to be a musical instrument playing it. Very weird. Uh, Speaking with the vice president, O'Connor says that he also asked for two escape planes. And O'Connor, the current head of the Secret Service, also inexplicably admits to the acting president that he doesn't think the president is super important. (laughs) People (laughs) die all the time and there's a chain of command presidency never dies i mean the man may even have 
a president as internationally respected as President Kennedy, but the presidency skips a beat and, and goes on. The VP is obviously delighted to hear this, simultaneously excited and forgetting that he may soon be the president. <laughs> O'Connor says that if we stall too long, he could kill the president. And then the acting president says, what would he have to gain from that? And O'Connor says he'd become a martyr to the cause. But I think the VP was talking about what Asante would have to gain, yeah. not the president, <laughs> because a martyr isn't the person who survives killing other people for a cause. Linda literally pulls the kill switch out of her pocket with a big fucking red button on it so that she can see it while she's checking the window for Asante the first time. Also, there doesn't appear to be any kind of safety on this button. So yeah. I'm very concerned when she puts it back into her pocket in a crowded like, room someone bumps into her. <laughs> These pants are tighter on me than they were yesterday. Shouldn't have had that turkey. <laughs> also, because I thought she was screaming I'm pregnant later on. I did too. <laughs> but we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh Suddenly the TNT sounds like it's boiling in the box in the back of the armored truck for some reason. Yeah. But I think it's just another poorly chosen music cue. <laughs> O'Connor and Asante move alone through the building toward the window in 417. Asante nods out the window and Linda puts the button away that she would never have taken out. In the control room, the Secret Service team have determined that the hairs found in the hat in the parking structure belong to a blonde woman. They could also have noticed that it was a blonde woman who got out of the car. <laughs> Um, but apparently they didn't notice that. So it should be easy to send home all of the non-blonde, non-women in this crowd now. On a whim, O'Connor says, can you get me a picture of the dead woman, Erica Steiner, and her sister, Linda Steiner? Mm -hmm. In the White House, the vice president is officially declared acting president, and for some reason the treasury secretary is the one briefing everyone on the president's kidnapping. When the cabinet learns that the diamonds Asante demanded have already been located and are a half hour from delivery, they are infuriated by the precedent. That night, it is raining in the park and the crowds are all still standing in place. The vote on whether or not to pay the terrorists is currently 3-3, three to three, which leaves the acting president the tiebreaker, which everyone assumed would be against paying. He has the option of voting either way or abstaining, but he wants to kick the can down the road to the secretaries of state and interior, who are still en route. Now, so that would make, what, three, four, five five people is it three to three is that six right now it's three to three so, so eight how many people are generally in the cabinet i think that some of them are en route and some of them are just not available okay i think you would call them and say hey <laughs> no that doesn't work you gotta <laughs> well, be here you're on your way can you uh, help us decide whether or not to kill the president but also i just think that you know we have an established rule that we do not negotiate yeah. with terrorists. Even in 1980, that was pretty set and in, in stone. Yes. Yeah. So why are we debating this at all? They're pretending like it makes a difference that it's the president over just a, a general hostage no, situation. No, it, 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 even more so than than a traditional thing where it's just an average show. You really can't do it when it's an important person because yeah. then you're just going to encourage everybody to kidnap the president. Well, I, and I agree. Um, my My perspective would be we're not going to negotiate, but we need to drag this out as long as possible to give us a chance. Yeah. So if that means giving him diamonds temporarily until we shoot him in the face, yeah. Um, then we just need to do that to buy time. Uh, the diamonds aren't going to go anywhere. Uh, uh, that's my that's my thinking. Um, but I think that that's giving the movie more credit. I yes. don't I don't think the movie is thinking like that. I think the movie is just thinking, no, we are going to negotiate with terrorists. But I don't even th I don't even think you can partially pretend to 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 negotiate with them because that has the same effect of encouraging people 
who might think that they could get what they wanted. Well, as long as you're very public about the fact that it did not work out well for that person. I don't even think that matters, though, because you just have to have this firm stance that is unwavering or it does not work. Yeah. Once they have voted, he promises not to abstain, but he doesn't want to be the asshole who looks like he killed the president on purpose for his office. Saul Malone, one of the men voting in the cabinet, reads a quote to the room from the acting president that basically boils down to we do not negotiate with terrorists. Later, Richard's wife, Richard's is the vice president, later the vice president's wife is furious at Malone for bringing this quote up, not realizing that it's actually better for her husband if he's held the belief for a long time that they shouldn't negotiate with terrorists. I can't get a handle on her motive here because she tells Richards that if he doesn't pay the ransom, that people will call him a murderer. But if he does, the president will owe him one and he might get elected later. Earlier, it seemed like she was just desperate to be the first lady. But now it sounds like she's saying she would rather save the president and have him owe her husband a favor and assume he'll be elected than actually see him killed. Mm hmm. And her husband just immediately become the president. Yeah, or at the very least, try, and then he still becomes president. Yeah. But it seems like, because the, earlier the president had said, I don't want you on the ticket. Yeah. So it's like, to me, that sounds like we're in an election year or coming up on an election. Yeah, yeah. So he wouldn't be president for very long because uh, he, he had mentioned that it would split the party if he tried to run on his own. Yeah. So he doesn't want to primary the president. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but the weird thing here is that the vice president says, you know what? I've wanted this presidency more than anybody, but I'm glad you're not making this decision. But it's like, why are you glad? Like, it seemed like what she was talking about doing was what most people would think was the nice thing to do. Mm-hmm. Even if it's the wrong thing to do, what she's talking about doing is the nice thing to do. And he's making her sound like a dick for wanting to save the president. Well, I guess because she's doing it because she she's doing it very cold hearted, like. Like she's scheming like, no, no, you need to save the president because then you can become president. Not yeah. because we think it's the right thing to do. But if she were actually scheming, she would say, oh, kill the president. That's a shortcut compared to the other plan, which is like, there's a 10% chance that you'd be the president next. Mm. We see the president in the truck for just a moment before cutting to a miniature. <laughs> yeah. And just like in Rise the, Raise the <laughs> Titanic, I thought we were supposed to buy this as the real truck for a second. <laughs> like oh god that's a terrible model of the truck <laughs> yeah and then they zoom out and i was like oh no I, I i changed my mind that's an excellent model yeah. of the truck <laughs> context is important uh they're planning a way to communicate with the president and they've made a very good model of the truck complete with like the full paint job and everything totally unnecessary yeah like it's got like the removable pieces so you can see the cross sections and yeah. the interiors uh the plan here is to put a limpet mic underneath the truck via underground tunnels in the park i don't know how they're going to get don knots down there yeah (laughs) (laughs) that would be incredible oh stop Stop. (laughs) the walls of the van have heat sensors to prevent torching through but the floor is two inches of steel and they likely would never have considered heat censoring the ground because it's not a viable point of entry for a torch i don't know why that matters because they're not talking about doing a blowtorch to put the microphone on the truck Mm mm-hmm they're just talking about putting the microphone on the truck. Okay, but let me get this straight, though. Yes, there's tunnels underneath this square, but my assumption is that you still have to cut through some amount of concrete yes, to they get do. up. How is that not setting off these sensors? Yeah, it should be. 
You're vibrating underneath the truck. That's the worst thing you could do. The, the, the movie made it seem like this ventilation duct was just underneath the carpet. Okay. Yeah. Yes, a layer. <laughs> he literally just duct, punches the layer of carpet, truck. That's yeah. how this works, right? <laughs> I'm surprised. If the, if the truck had been driving a few inches to the side, it would have just fallen into this ventilation system. <laughs> and wait a minute. Because she got out of the truck... Yeah. And jumped over a thing and went through a door that went down into a parking garage. So yeah. there's a parking garage. There's no ducts down there. Well, there might be ducts above the parking garage. Between the parking garage and the car? Yes, I think I think that's the implication. Oh, my goodness. Because uh, it shows them going up into the ducts in the mall. I don't know. This, this whole thing yeah. is spatially weird. But either way, <laughs> for some reason now we're talking about how thick the walls of the truck are and the heat sensors even though they're just talking about opening up a line of communication here's a couple options that i came up with off the top of my head a demand a line of communication (laughs) otherwise you can't be sure that the president is alive anyway and there's no reason to negotiate with this guy or b walk up to the truck and just talk to the president Mm -hmm. because they've never made any rule against that and the truck isn't soundproof so just walk up to it and say, Mr. President, are you okay? Here's what's going on. But see why. Just don't do it because there's nothing There's nothing helpful about this line. Like you're literally just going to call the president to be like, hey, how's it going? I, We're again, working. Uh, again, I guess w- w- just your first point was just for proof of life. Yeah. But yeah, because he can't really do anything. I mean, he does some things, but they didn't know that that was an option. Yeah. He gets a little doddering too when we get to that point. It's yeah. like, did you know that this thing is made of wood? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Asante seems to misunderstand what he has hostage, and he repeats the demand to O'Connor that says that his time bomb is a threat to world order, but it's not. It's just a truck with a guy in it, and mm-hmm. he says if you push the button, you know, we'll just then we have a different president. It doesn't. It's not like America is going to crumble because you blew up one guy. But uh, he's pretending like he has everything, all the cards. The president is just trying to will his handcuffs off when he leans back frustrated and taps his head on the wall, which he realizes from the sound and feel is actually wood painted to look like metal. Dietrich keeps asking O'Connor what his plans are, and O'Connor hands out orders to his men and disperses photos of Linda and tells them to commandeer press cameras to scan the crowd. For some reason, O'Connor is giving orders to Dietrich, the head of the CIA, who is still here for some reason, despite his jurisdictional irrelevance. And isn't the CIA not allowed to operate in overseas. the U.S.? Yeah. Or, or, yeah. Oh, no, yeah, they are overseas. Never mind. Yeah. I keep forgetting that they're in Toronto. <laughs> the clock strikes 6.30, but it looks much later than that. A deranged James Franco-looking gentleman <laughs> is pretending to orchestrate the music being performed by a nearby marching band. Inside the truck, the president is just peeling away at the paneling and insulation of this truck in a seemingly deliberate attempt to set off the bomb. Don't you think that the terrorist guy should have told the president about all the things that are going to explode with the, <laughs> yeah, that might have you helped. know, prevent him from trying to escape and just blowing himself up? Yeah, that would be helpful to the terrorist to have said that, but he didn't. Suddenly, gunshots ring out as Secret Service agents are chasing the lunatic conductor full speed toward the truck. O'Connor follows the man onto an ice rink in rain and is slipping too much to keep up. The man insists that he's a soldier of Christ and the Lord works through him, and O'Connor half indulges the man. Come here, come here, I want to talk. The Lord works through me. I know that. But come here, I, I want to talk to you. <laughs> 
O'Connor tells the sharpshooters to hold their fire again. Again, stupidly, because you don't want to shoot this guy right next to the president or let him get any closer to the truck and risk the bomb being set off. Mm -hmm. You should kill him right here. Well, and he's, but he's also clearly an unarmed man. Those sharpshooters can take him out by putting a bullet in his leg. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But he says, don't shoot. I wanted to get closer to the president. So the man keeps running, and then O'Connor says, Freezer, I'll shoot! Before killing the man with a shot right next to the president, which, you know, all you have to do is be, you know, a little bit off, and you accidentally killed the president or blew this truck up because you were trying to kill someone else. The sharpshooters are probably furious because they could have taken that guy out 30 seconds ago without letting him get so close to the president, and now they don't get to kill anybody. The Secret Service locate Linda in the crowd from footage on the cameras, just as the other team is ready to attach the microphone to the truck. While they watch Linda on the monitor, the Toronto chief asks out loud, where has she got that detonator hidden? To which O'Connor replies, in her pockets. <laughs> not realizing he was obviously joking because the woman has both hands in her pockets and no bag or backpack. <laughs> So that's obviously where it is. President Scott eats either a York peppermint patty or some foam insulation that he found in the truck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a good thing I keep my pockets full of candy. <laughs> At the last second, O'Connor aborts the microphone plan, fearing that Linda will see them under the truck and blow it up, needlessly foiling everyone's plans. They wait for her to look up at the signal, and when the clock chimes, they place the microphone under the truck. It's so small that there's no way she could have seen it from this far away, and for whatever reason, it's not even wireless. Yeah. So if she was ever going to see it, she would still see it because there's a wire hanging down uh, off the bottom. Uh, of the also, truck. when he says now, I thought it was going to be a real quick motion, not. Yeah. I was like, this is this is taking like a full 30 seconds to go up to the yeah, truck. She definitely already had time to look up and look back. And, and you know what I thought they were going to do? Because they had these spotlights sweeping. Like, Blow it in her face. Yeah, just shoot, shine the spotlights like you're looking in the crowd and then she can't see shit. Yeah. O'Connor addresses the president through the speaker slash microphone, assuming there wasn't already a microphone in the truck as a precaution against this. The president is brought up to speed and demands that they not pay any money to the terrorists because he's not an idiot. Mm -hmm. He tells O'Connor about the plywood paneling, and it wouldn't surprise me if he just reached over to tear all the wiring out to set the bomb off on purpose to spite Asante. The acting president calls O'Connor and announces that the additional votes didn't break the tie and now it's up to him. The acting president is a big baby and wants O'Connor to tell him what to do. Yeah. This guy is infuriating. But also, this this conversation is infuriating because he literally just yeah. spoke to the president directly. And the president said, don't give them anything. Yeah. Don't pay him. Don't, don't give in to any demands. And the vice president's like, oh, O'Connor, what am I going to do? Now is the moment when you say, oh, by the way, I just talked to the president. He says, don't give in to the demands. Yeah. Instead, he's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but instead, he just says, yeah, I don't know. It's a tough decision for you to make, Mr. President. But I he also has feelings. Like, if he's not <laughs> but it, it, like, O'Connor actually wants to pay the ransom. Yeah. Like, we've established already. So, like, if he's not going to relay the information that the president of the United States, who is commander-in-chief, just told us not to do this, if he's yeah. not going to say that, you would assume it's because he has differing feelings, which he would express now instead. But instead, he's just like, <laughs> no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to force you to make this decision because you're the acting president. And he says, no, I'm going to give you five minutes to answer me or else. And he hangs up and it's like, or else what? Yeah, or else what? What the hell does that mean? <laughs> if I if I don't call you in the next five minutes with an answer, then you still have to give the answer. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. I, I, I'm assuming that they're operating under like the same kind of rules for Air Force One in the movie Air Force One where 
the president is technically incapacitated as if he had had a illness and fainted or collapsed yeah. and is unable to give orders or in the the day reagan was shot yeah where it's like who's in charge now the president's unconscious in a hospital mm-hmm. that's why i'm imagining the vp is being ignoring the president's like but he doesn't know he the, doesn't what the know. president wants he doesn't even know that they have a line of communication open with the president oh i, I mean I, I guess i just assumed he was made aware but yes it's never stated yeah and if it and, and if he was aware he'd be like what'd he say <laughs> <laughs> Now, suddenly, the CIA has set up an alternate plan to rescue the president. And by alternate, I mean only plan so far. They have an agent sneaking up on Linda in the crowd and an actress with a crying baby that someone volunteered to approach explosives with. Like yeah. an actual live baby. That was a real baby. I, I was just, I, I, I was like, I don't know what's happening. They have a real baby. I yeah. mean, I, I, I like the concept of the plan of, you know, because, I mean, there's people that try to do this sort of trick on you in order to, you know, like mug you or something like right. that, where they'll like throw a baby but at you always a so that baby. you drop your stuff and like they take mm-hmm. it or whatever. And, and you know, so I kind of like this concept for how they plan to distract her in order to take her out. But they used a real baby. <laughs> yeah, so there's two options here. This baby is the child of the agent that works for the Secret <laughs> Service, and she's actually using her own child for her job. Or they convinced someone else to loan their baby to approach a person who's probably wearing a TNT vest mm-hmm. and said, yes, shake my baby at that terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, apparently that was the plan. They wanted to distract the terrorist with a live baby and then just dare her to set the bomb off. Then two agents grab Linda from both sides and she claims to have pressed the button, but she says, I pressed it. I pressed it. And it does sound over the crowd like, I'm pregnant. Yeah, I thought she was trying to like garner sympathy yeah. or trying to get the crowd to be on her side. Like the police are roughing up a woman who's pregnant. Yeah. Right. Like she's trying yeah. to just plead something. Yeah. Or or in some weird like old tradition of of uh with the phrasing of uh pleading your belly yeah which means you can't go to jail if you're pregnant <laughs> but uh so that's a, now that's an old old term pleading your belly i don't know that one it's like a piracy times like a uh mary uh mary reed claimed oh, okay. that so she didn't so she wouldn't have to go to real prison yeah <laughs> but for some reason the truck didn't explode uh because that's not what this button was for o'connor is obviously furious to learn of this secret plan that's happening without his approval Uh, And now it's nine o'clock. They drag Linda into O'Connor's office. And again, she insists that she pressed the button. But Dietrich and his men are like, she didn't have time to press the button. It's like, how long does it take to press a button? She could have done it in her pocket. She had it in her hand the whole time. He announces that clearly this whole thing was just a hoax to embarrass the U.S. And Asante laughs and explains that the detonator is actually just starting a timer. And that it doesn't blow the explosives. But now the truck will explode ahead of schedule at midnight. The same time it was supposed to explode yeah. before. I, I, when I ever, when they cut, when they first cut to the timer ticking, I was like, it's counting the wrong way. Yeah, it's <laughs> counting up. It's just a clock. It's a clock. It's yeah. not a timer. But it's like, as soon as he said that, he's like, oh, you just cost your president a few hours. And it's like, a few hours? He was going to blow up at midnight and it's, it's past nine now. Mm-hmm. So it could not possibly, a couple, I think, is the maximum. A few, no, because a few is at least three. And if it costs him three hours, then he's already dead. But the time didn't change. So I don't understand what he's talking about. I mean, I guess if he got paid at midnight, he would have extended the deadline. 
to make his getaway. He should have pushed this button this morning before yeah. they even got to the event. Yeah. O'Connor orders Dietrich flown back to the U.S., which he doesn't have the authority to do. And uh, he says, unhandcuff Asante and give him back his switchblade. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? The one he's already used to kill one cop today. Uh, the acting president authorizes the ransom payment which is exactly what his wife wanted to do before he told her to fuck off. <laughs> At 10 o'clock, O'Connor walks Asante and Linda to their requested escape plane, and he shows Linda a picture of her dead sister with her throat slit, not shot in the back as Asante described. She assumes they are fakes and gets on the plane anyway. Asante checks out the diamonds on the plane. He's very pleased. O'Connor tells Asante now, you have your stuff. How do we open the truck? And Asante says, Oh, good, so you can shoot me down, in essence, begging O'Connor to shoot him, since he just abandoned all of his leverage. The only the only reason we gave you these things, so that you can let the president go. If you're not going to let the president go, you don't get these things. Yeah. That's the rule. O'Connor pulls out his gun, and he hands it to Linda, instead of just shooting this guy. No reason he would do this on any planet, other than to make an interesting movie scene. Asante says that he will tell them how to unlock the truck a half an hour after takeoff, when he seems to think that the plane's immunity to anti-aircraft weapons kicks in. Well, that, that's what the purpose of the second plane was. Uh, was to, I guess, have some kind of anti-radar Yeah, stuff. it was a radar-blocking yeah. type vehicle of But some you can sort. still visually yeah, you can follow still watch the plane. It. Yeah. Right. You can still visually contact There's the definitely other jets scrambled that are just waiting for them to take off yeah. so they can follow them. Asante approaches O'Connor with a switchblade, and now Linda's starting to believe that maybe her sister's throat was slit. O'Connor announces that the revolutionary group that Asante claims to represent has denounced his actions, and he calls that lies. Suddenly, Linda turns the gun on Asante as visions of her sister's death play out in her head, and she shoots him three times. They're now in the same situation as if they'd shot Asante nine hours ago, except that now the president is in a truck with a bomb, <laughs> when before he was just outside. Mm -hmm. Also, she knocks over all the diamonds, and the sound of them just like falling to the floor is like, ugh. Yeah. That's going to be a pain in the ass for some intern. Yeah, you got to find every single one. The bomb will go off at midnight, but it was going to go off at midnight all day no matter what. Linda has no idea how it works. They plan to torch through underneath the truck because, as they said, it's two inches of steel and they probably didn't build in any kind of a precaution against that. So it really bothers me that he handed her the gun when they're on the plane in the first place because... He has no idea if she knows how the bomb works. Right. So the only reason he would give her the gun is because he thinks he can, you know, turn her against Asante. Right. But if he has no guarantee that anybody aside from this guy knows how to dearm this truck, why would he take that risk? And if he was going to take that risk, just shoot him. Yeah, he's just made, shoot him right now. He's don't, made every wrong decision don't all day. Don't bother with this weird game. He should be fired in half. It's ridiculous. The president peels back more snacks from the floor of the truck when he notices <laughs> that the bottom of the truck is similarly wired to blow. They move under the hood to try and take the engine out and cut through the firewall to get into the truck, and they get the engine out with 10 minutes to spare. Right, and they get the engine out without any sort of vibrations to set yep. this off because nope. I'm pretty sure without an impact wrench, you're not getting any engine out of that thing. Nope. And engines are notoriously light. So yes. there's no way that lifting it up would cause the car to raise. Jostle at all. I guess they had to put weights on it to counteract like, <laughs> like Indiana, Indiana Jones, Jones style. style. <laughs> um, O'Connor gets inside and wastes a full 30 seconds learning how to use bolt cutters. 30 seconds of the president's last minute alive. 
The truck explodes at midnight right on schedule, and we wait a second to reveal that the president and O'Connor had already made it out safely. I was so infuriated when they showed them. Like, I was like, ah, they're not going to blow up the truck. Oh, they are going to blow up the truck. Ah, they're not going to be inside. Yeah. Uh, Scott talks to Vice President Richards on the phone and says, hey, you know how I told you to resign? Just kidding. I don't care that you tried to pay terrorists and diamonds to <laughs> yeah. save me, uh, even though I specifically asked for that not to happen. Also, whatever this international criminal thing that you were involved with. Yeah, we'll weather this storm together. The director here was George Mendelock. That's the end of the film, by the way. Well, <laughs> but the, he also says to... oh. No, so he says, which one does he say it to, O'Connor or the vice president? He's like, you did a really good job. And I'm just like, wait a minute. You just got out of this truck like 30 seconds ago. You haven't spoke to anybody about what no he's done. <laughs> and he did the exact opposite of what you wanted him to do. What do you mean you've done a good job? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Um, our director for this film was George Mendelock. He directed Meatballs 3 and a lot of TV stuff. Um, he actually directed a movie in 2017 called Bitter Harvest with Barry Pepper and Terrence Stamp. So he's still working. Hmm. Uh, writer Richard Murphy wrote Boomerang and The Desert Rats, both of which earned him adapted and original screenplay Oscar nominations, respectively. The novelist Charles Templeton also wrote a few episodes of TV, but this was his last IMDb credit for anything. Well, and I have to say that the original title of Hostage is a much more apt yes, title. because he doesn't get kidnapped. Yeah. He's here. They know where he is. Yeah. Uh, Paul Zaza, uh, we just had him doing the music for Prom Night. He wrote all the sound alikes uh, to replace all the expensive music in the in the first cut. And it makes sense because most of the actual score to this film is just built on variations of Hail to the Chief. It's yeah. just sound alikes of Hail to the Chief. And, and they're all like like weird flat versions of the song. Yeah. I was like, this is terrible. Yeah, it was real bad. William Shatner was Jerry O'Connor. He's Captain Kirk. He also appeared on T.J. Hooker and Boston Legal in lead roles. Mm -hmm. uh, he played the titular dad on the series Shit My Dad Says, which was famously adapted from a popular Twitter account. He also played the lead role in a 1966 gothic horror film called Incubus, the second of only four films ever produced in the Esperanto language, though fluent speakers were quite disappointed with the pronunciation throughout. <laughs> Hal Holbrook was President Adam Scott. He plays Mark Twain on stage. He was Deep Throat in All the President's Men. He was George Washington in John Adams. <laughs> he played Lincoln in Carl Sandburg's Lincoln and Lincoln in North and South, the Civil War miniseries. Mm -hmm. He played Francis Preston Blair in Spielberg's Lincoln. He also played President Maxwell Monroe, a second fictional president six years later in Under Siege. Van Johnson was Vice President Ethan Richards. He was a big star for MGM during World War II. He played Lieutenant Merrick in The Kane Mutiny, Jeff Douglas in Brigadoon, Holly in Battleground. He had previously appeared with Ava Gardner in Three Men in White and Two Girls and a Sailor. Movie titles used to be much simpler. <laughs> Although, Two Girls and a Sailor is uncomfortably familiar. <laughs> <laughs> two Girls, One Sailor. That's what they should have called that. Oh, God. Ava Gardner played Beth Richards. Uh, she was Maxine Falk in Night of the Iguana, Lily Langtree in The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean, and Remy Royce Graff in Earthquake. Miguel Fernandez was Roberto Asante. He played Gregory Bate in Ghost Story. He also played Khan in The Escape. Yeah. A <laughs> MacGyver episode. Which, which is funny because uh, William Shatner plays Kirk and this guy plays Khan. Khan! 
Uh, Cindy Gerling, <laughs> who is not Mindy Sterling, played Linda Steiner. She was Wendy in Meatballs. Elizabeth Shepard was Joan Scott. I don't know who Joan Scott was. That's uh, the president's wife. Oh, okay. Uh, that makes sense. Scott. Uh, she plays Joan Hart, not Melissa Joan Hart, <laughs> in Omen 2, Damien, and Jane Witherspoon in Poltergeist The Legacy. Maury Chaikin was Harvey Cannon. He played Canuck, the fake Native American, in Nothing Personal earlier this year. He played Jim Sting in War Games, Burt Klain in Twins, and Ernest in Bartleby. Murray Westgate was Archie Standler. He played a gatekeeper in Happy Birthday to Me next year. Sully Boyar played the FBI chief. He plays Larry the dog catcher in Night of the Juggler. You remember that? I do. They go to the pound with the information from the caller. He'll be back as Eddie Gibbs in The Jazz Singer later this year. Patrick Brimer was the Jesus Freak. He's credited <laughs> as Jesus Freak. Jackie Burroughs played Woman Agent. She was Mrs. Stiles in Willard and Vera Smith in The Dead Zone. Fred Franklin was Herbert Thurston. Uh, he's credited as Frederick Franklin. He played Ashcroft in The Fog earlier this year and Mr. Gordon, the grumpy hardware store owner in The Hearse, uh, which is another Crown International film. Uh, Michael Caine played Herb Morris. This is our fourth Michael Caine movie this year after The Island, Dressed to Kill, and Middle-Aged Crazy. And he'll be back later this year for Foolin' Around. Wait, I'm sorry. It's got to be a different Michael Caine. There's two Michael Caines, yeah. Okay. Uh, Michael Caine with a C was in The Island and Dressed to Kill. And Michael Caine with a K is in Middle-Aged Crazy This and Foolin' Around. One of them's in the good movies. <laughs> uh, Paul Larson played Millerney. He was Charlie Thomas in Altered States later this year. He's Blaster from Beyond Thunderdome. Oh, okay. If you'll recall, earlier this year we had Master, actor Angelo Rosito in galaxina where he hatched from an egg and became captain corny butt's child (laughs) (laughs) another uh in another crown international picture and he also appeared as an uncredited fruit vendor in can't stop the music (laughs) the only other thing on his imdb is a tv movie that we won't be covering next year william marquez played kinsap he was the doctor in crazy heart and forever young he played eduardo in bedazzled the one with uh, the mummy guy and he played Frey Felipe in the mask of Zorro. And lastly, Joseph Ragno as Saul. That's the guy who quoted the vice president during the cabinet meeting. He played Willens in where the Buffalo roam. That's the prosecutor that was putting all the kids to jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'll be back this year as first attorney in Melvin and Howard. And he plays Roy Healy on Marvel's Jessica Jones series for Netflix. This movie's not great. I think uh, it, suffers from very little attention to detail uh it's just not well thought out yeah i mean it's it's well made uh and i i mean i i say that as in the production value the production value is pretty good for a crown i think it's probably the best of the crown international pictures that we've seen i think galaxina was better well galaxina had had a lot more interesting things but you could see where it was a little sure that's true like the, they, I don't think this required much. They secured a park for correct. Yeah. Like I would say, the budgets are probably almost the same in the sense that they just could do a lot more when you don't have to create makeup and puppets and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, but you know, uh, but performance-wise, other than Hal Holbrook, who I feel like was he the, was great, the big he, get for this. He's the only believable person in this yeah. movie. And and how much of the movie did he really have to be in? Like how how many minutes did it take him to shoot those scenes yeah, in he the could van. have been in and out in a day for sure yeah 
so uh, you know, obviously he was just like a good get for the movie, and you know, Shatner uh, was was adequately Shatner in this movie. This is between the Star Treks uh, one and two, so it wasn't like he was hard up for work or anything like that. I mean, yeah. he's he's a busy man, uh, but I guess maybe he felt like this was probably like a big just an opportunity to be more actiony, which he yeah. really wasn't. Uh, but yeah, I I, I don't want to. I don't. I, I weird. I have a weird feeling about this movie. I don't want to crap too hard on it because I don't feel like it deserves it. I think but it, it's just. Not I think great. It's based on a book, though, and this book wouldn't have been successful if it didn't fill in all the gaps. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of plot holes in this, and there's a lot of situations where you're like, "Here's the obvious solution. Oh, okay, they're going to do that. Why'd they do that?" And we never explain why they did that. Mm-hmm. And I I refuse to accept that that uh, this author wrote a book where all these terrible decisions were made in a row, and there's no explanation for it. Maybe it was wordy in the book. Well, or maybe they had they had the problem of trying to make uh, a lot of unseen things visual. You know that we have a lot of internal monologue type stuff happening with the terrorists, perhaps, and we don't get any motivations in here. Um, yeah, and you know things like she pulls out the 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 button, whereas it's just like, like you don't you have know, to pull like, it out in a book. In yeah. the book, you didn't have to pull it out, but here mm-hmm. we have to see that she has that. Because I think the concept of him being in an impenetrable box that's got a bomb right out in the view of public. I mean, there's there's a lot of interesting ideas to that. Yeah. Um, but the problem is getting him into the box yeah. for me. Exactly. No, exactly. That, that whole handcuff sequence, I was like, that's pretty ridiculously risky. E- even from when they have him outside of the truck and they're like, yes, put the president in your armored vehicle, please. Mm-hmm. It's like, why would you say that? You're not gaining anything by putting him in there. He's still right next to a bomb. So just yeah. keep him next to a bomb right. outside of the truck you can't get into. This guy isn't threatening you like this very moment to, to blow him up per se. Like yeah. he's... He's not like on the edge. Just like, no, no, stop screwing around. I'm going to push this button. I'm going to do and, it. I'm going to do it. You and know? even like you said, the president is not cooperating. Like yeah. he should have just been like, no, fuck this guy. Like try and strangle him outside of the truck. Just mm-hmm. strangle him right here. If if your entire security detail was suddenly like, you know what, Mr. President, maybe you should let this guy kill you. I would be like, okay, well, I guess I'm on my own now. I, mm-hmm. I'm just going to try and strangle this guy because there's nothing else to do. Can we talk about the fact that the poster is these two hands, one of which is holding a gun, like the terrorist hand and the president's hand are handcuffed together, and the terrorist hand is holding a gun, and he doesn't use a gun this entire time? That's true. Although he, he does point the... Uh, he points the he points the controller button for the mm-hmm. bomb as if it were a gun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ha-ha. But, he, the, but this guy doesn't use a gun the entire time. The girlfriend does. Not only that, but the button that he's holding doesn't actually activate anything. Well, they don't know that. Yeah, I mean, but we learn like, that over the course of the film. Well, yes, we learn that once once the button's pressed. Yeah. When the woman screams. Well, I'm, I'm not pregnant. talking about her button. I'm talking about he when he's loading the president into the truck, he's like waving his mm. button around. And it's like, you already pushed that button. It blew up a thing over there. That's true. Well, there could be more than one button. There could, but there wasn't. They could see the thing that he was holding had one switch on it, and he already flipped it. But they don't know that he detonated that bomb. Someone else could have detonated it. I guess. He said there was some. But but he makes it seem like he doesn't have the trigger to this bomb. Mm-hmm. He makes it very clear that someone else is in control of the bomb. But also, like you said, it's not a dead man switch. He's like It's really easy to stop someone from pressing a button because yeah. his finger's not on it. Yeah. Like I know it's, a, it's really easy to get on it, but 
Dead Man Switch is the whole concept is that when you die and you lose you muscle control, yeah. you let go. And even the woman in the in the crowd, you have sharpshooters. Kill mm-hmm. the woman in the crowd. Shoot her in the face. Yeah, you, you don't have to shake someone's baby at her. Just shoot her. And then you're you're in the clear. Yeah, and she has to go to the bathroom eventually. Yeah. Like, like she can't just stay there for six hours. Just run around giving everyone drinks. Mm-hmm. Just like, hey, let's just keep everyone uh, refreshed. Yeah, stay really hydrated. Here's some sunny You tea. in particular. <laughs> here's a bunch of drinks. Or just drug her. There's so many solutions. but Or, or do a random ID check. We're, we're doing a random ID check. But there's so many scenes where they just misplay leverage. Where they're mm-hmm. just like, wait, what he's doing doesn't actually serve a purpose. And it doesn't help his situation at all. And the other person has no leverage on him. I don't know why they're complying with the demand here. Other than because the script requires this to happen. Yeah. And whenever that happens, I, I feel like the the writing is to blame. But yeah. What do you think Letterboxd? Um, do you want to do up or down? Up or down. Or is that pretty obvious? Jess, what do you think, up or down? It's a down. Definitely down. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a down. It's a down for me, too. Letterboxd. Um, I have this uh, strangely up against some of the last ones we've been doing. They've all been kind of falling around in the same spot. Um, I actually have this just below Hunter, or The Hunter, and just above Fiendish Plot Okay. of Fu Manchu. Because it wasn't clear of Fiendish Plot. <laughs> Uh, mine's pretty low. It is about uh, 15 from the bottom. It's right between, uh, it's right below the little dragons and right above effects. Uh, mine is also exactly 15 from the bottom and also right above fiendish plot, um, (laughs) and below how to beat the high cost of living, which puts three very long titles in a row. How to beat the high cost of living, the kidnapping of the president and the fiendish plot of Dr. Fu Manchu. But um, yeah, I the writing bothered me. It seemed like it wasn't really thought completely out, and uh, and Hal Holbrook was the only believable person in it. Everybody else is playing this like heightened caricature of like a TV villain. Yeah, and he's the only person who's playing this like a human being that would be like, "What? No, don't do that." Yeah, this movie felt very TV movie. Like it, it felt like you just cut out the throat slitting. And there's really nothing in there that happens that couldn't have been on television. I wonder if it wasn't a miniseries. There's also some language. I think someone says fuck somewhere in the oh, movie. Okay, and okay. when I was watching it, I was like, I was like, oh, maybe, I guess this isn't a TV movie. Yeah. But because somewhere the runtime for this was originally like 314 or something like this. But but right now, the even on IMDb, it says the runtime is whatever it is, like just under two hours mm-hmm. or an hour and 45 minutes. But somewhere when I first made the list, the runtime was listed at, at 3.14. And I was like, maybe this was like a three-part miniseries originally. It feels very TV. Yeah. But uh, it wasn't great. And also the first version of it that I got was square format. But the one that you can watch for free on Prime right now is 185. Mm. But it's actually an extraction of the 4.3 version that I had. Oh, that makes sense. So... I don't know if it if it was actually because I mean technically if you shot it on thirty five millimeter it would be four three mm-hmm. on the film, and some, there's a lot of shots where it just looks empty on the top and the bottom in the four three version. So I was like, maybe this they just like when they redid the transfer they accidentally did it at four three instead of the one eight five that it was presented in theaters. But either way, I know that other copy had a television distribution company logo at the front of That's it. That's true. That the it Amazon did. one did not. Yeah. 
I think that's everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash Vintage Video Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Smokey and the Bandit 2, which IMDb describes like so. The Bandit goes on another cross-country run, transporting an elephant from Florida to Texas. And once again, Sheriff Buford T. Justice is on his tail. We leave you now with the trailer for Smokey and the Bandit 2. This here is Sheriff Buford T. Justice. I'm sure you all recall how I went after a fella by the CB name of Bandit and almost lost my head. Daddy, the top came off. No. Some of you less respectable citizens may even snigger when you recall that I never caught that tick. Well, I got news for you. The bandit is back. Now, before you go getting all worked up about it, let me reassure you people there ain't no way he's gonna make a fool out of Buford T. Justice this time. Why didn't you have your gun loaded? When I put bullets in it, Daddy, it gets too heavy. This time, folks, he's bitten off more than he can chew. He's taking on a cargo that proves he's gotten too big for his britches. Enjoy my life. I can turn them on, but I can't turn them off. And if he thinks he can sneak two tons of pregnant pachyderm onto my nose, he's got another thing coming. Ha <laughs> ha. Now we got him in the biggest Baddest trap ever. Cause this time I got help. Two of the most brilliant and respected lawmen on the road today. My two brothers, Gaylord and Reggie. Well, if I can keep... And it don't matter where he goes. It don't matter what it tries to pull. My brothers and I give you our solemn vows. Gonna barbecue his Come on, Trigger! Don't let me down now! Universal Pictures presents Burt Reynolds, Jerry Reed, Sally Field, Don DeLuise, Jackie Gleason, Jackie Gleason, Jackie Gleason, and Charlotte in Smokey and the Bandit Part 2. The movie that proves once again. It's not what's in your truck that counts. It's who's on your tail.